There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hey everyone, I'm Rachel Tipgraf, the founder and CEO of Micmac. And I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. Welcome, Welcome to, to our, our podcast, Brave, Brave Commerce. Commerce. Every week, we'll tackle what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. We'll share tips worth millions in sales. While interviewing the bravest marketers on how to navigate e-commerce's latest consumer and retailer dynamics. Rachel, how many times a week do people tell you how lucky you are that you're working in e-commerce? Honestly, I just tell everyone that. <laughs> but but a year ago, were people telling you how lucky you were? No, a year ago, people thought I was crazy that I said the future of e-com was online grocery, online liquor shopping. And there was this minor thing in this world that kind of changed things. Well, other than, than you and people that you work with, obviously, how many of your friends were ordering fresh grocery and liquor online a year ago? I would say... Only like really busy friends of mine who were working moms. We are early adopters. I was trying to convince friends to do it, other working moms, and they were so concerned about freshness, timing of the delivery. They were like all these excuses as to why they couldn't try it. And yet now, I don't know anyone who hasn't ordered fresh groceries online, including my parents. I know. It's wild. Uh, the 75 plus community using Instacart, they're here to stay. Wait, wait, wait. My parents are not 75 yet. They're going to be very offended. <laughs> My parents are both under 70. They're very proud of that. Uh, okay, okay. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> so do you think we've hit the tipping point for online grocery shopping? It's a good question. I don't know if the tipping point was like March or April. And then we're at this point right now where this is the new amount of time that people are spending doing online groceries. But Habits are formed over time, and we're now past the six-month mark working from home and used to being at home. So I think these habits are here to stay. I don't know if it's really the idea of delivery to your door, buy online, pick up in store, but digital ordering for sure. But imagine what it's like to be a brand in the grocery space. Your world's turned upside down, supply chain, inventory, completely out of whack. They've got to just reimagine everything. It's crazy to just... Think about this and everything that we're seeing from the jobs that we have. But to be right now the head of e-com for a global brand that's available at groceries everywhere, 
they probably haven't taken a vacation since COVID began. And they might be the most relevant person within the organization today. I think you're right, babe. They probably are the most relevant person because they know more than most others about this particular area. And so they've gotten like thrust into the spotlight. And there's probably no better person to get a good temperature check on this role than Elizabeth Bennett, who is heading up e-commerce globally for one of the biggest brands in the world, Kraft Heinz. You know them for mac and cheese, Heinz ketchup, and also Oscar Mayer, Philadelphia cream cheese. And I'm sure there's so many other things that are in your fridge right now, Sarah, that I'm surprised I don't know about. I got to tell you, I can tell you there is no Oscar Mayer because there's no bacon in this household, my friend. But there is Heinz ketchup from Philadelphia cream cheese. Elizabeth represents so much, but also she comes to us from, from Amazon. Talk about somebody who's gone, what do they say, from the frying pan into the fire? I, th- I think that's probably the best description of where she is right now. Probably thought she was going on easy street by moving from Amazon to a nice big CPG like Kraft Heinz. Quite the contrary. So Elizabeth, you left Amazon after 15 years to move your family from Seattle to Chicago and go client side. That's pretty brave. What prompted you to join Kraft Heinz? I did. And I will tell you along the way, when I started this conversation with Kraft Heinz, I said to my husband, who's been a total trooper through this, I said, you know what? I've been at Amazon so long. I'm never going to leave. I'll just, this will be great. It'll be good interview practice. Right. Um, And then all of a sudden I came back and I said, oh, this is actually really interesting. And so what prompted me to start having this conversation is one, I had not seen CPG really figure out their secret sauce in the e-commerce space and particularly in the the food space. And so I thought it was a really interesting opportunity combined with Kraft Heinz, which just starting to go through this major transformation and really to be part of that and to help drive the transformation was what drew me to make this change. And since joining Kraft, what have been the biggest learnings that you've had with CPG and Ecom? It's an older industry. And so how you transition, you know, I, I, I would say I really grew up at Amazon, right? And now I'm in this, you know, 100-year-old industry where we're used to brick and mortar data. And there's some leaps of faith in e-commerce, right? Or some, we don't have all the data, or all the answers yet. And so I would say learning how to navigate that as well as, um, you know, I bring a lot of rigor and I think it was, it was a good pairing because I think building out mechanisms for how we navigate as an organization, this change has been really helpful and interesting. It certainly is. And they're so lucky to have you and somebody of your caliber. One of the things that I love and most, by the way, I feel lucky just so you know, (laughs) that's always the perfect match. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of, one of the great things about your role is, is also the, the level of seniority that you have within the global organization. In many organizations, pre-COVID, e-commerce was one of those things that kind of got stuck in a corner and got carted out anytime they had to have an innovation conversation. But when, when meeting you the, for the first time and understanding your role in shaping overall strategy with e-commerce being a part of that, I thought was just... Super from the standpoint of the investment that the organization is putting. But then COVID hits, and of course, they look like freaking geniuses for having done this in the first place. How has the importance of your role in e-commerce overall changed the craft time since COVID hit? Yeah, so I... 
I feel lucky. Right? I think you know, no one, no one expected this pandemic, and I will say my team has been phenomenal in navigating this. But I think being set up early on and kind of invested in this has has helped us be very successful. You know, as we've navigated this, having e-commerce is its own very nimble area where, you know, we've got tech and supply and sales and media and marketing has really enabled us to move at the speed of business, right? And the speed that our consumers are thinking of combined with, you know, the work that our factories have done to really get enough food out there to to help feed America, right? And that combination, there's certainly, you know, it's not all, all perfect and we've got to navigate that. But I think having that nucleus of e-commerce so that we understand the connections and we can think through, you know, as you think about click and collect and last mile and ship to home, what are the needs of the consumer? How do we make this a better consumer experience? And and ultimately, how do we focus on helping provide solutions for our consumers versus products? I think we were able to pivot very quickly on that. And I'm, I'm you know, I feel honored to be on this team and I'm um, incredibly grateful not only for the support the organization has put behind this, um, but also for the work that the team has done. They have, you know, everyone's been, been kind of kicking it into full gear because it is, it's a big responsibility to serve consumers. And right now this is how consumers are shopping and we've got to show up and put our best foot forward. You know, you described what the e-commerce disciplines are across the organization and knowing craft at more of a high level, there's still brand marketing and there's a CRM team. So how are you ensuring that the information that your team has gets disseminated to the other organizations so you can make omni-channel decisions? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, I don't think we've totally figured out our secret sauce. I think this is a learning journey that we're all going to be on. Wait, 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 wait. The secret sauce is A1. Come on. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I now realize I say secret sauce a lot, so we're going to have to start over this one. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's a learning journey that all of us are on. And one, I think it's incredibly important to create a space for vulnerability for the team because they are going to have to learn, right? And we do have these big organizations, as you said, we've got, you know, a big brand team and how do we all connect? And, you know, we're starting to be at this place where, you know, it's interesting, people sometimes use the term digital marketing. I'm like, well, how is that different than marketing, right? And so figuring out where those start to blend and how we navigate that. And I would say as an organization, how do we scale this and how do we build mechanisms that get everyone the right information that is not just good intentions of, you know, reaching out to someone. We're midway through that. The industry accelerated, whether it's two or four years. And so previously we, we hadn't figured this all out. And I would say we are working our way and learning our way through that as we go. But the, the importance of, again, like for the end consumer, we should solve solution, right? We should help them feed their families. And it's not just about we've sold them a macaroni and cheese or a cream cheese. And so in order to do that, we need to be one Kraft Heinz across every function with our customer and with our end consumer. And that is certainly what we're working towards. Again, you know, we're, we're iterating as we go. Well, you've always been a great training organization. And I certainly, you know, from, from our experience working together, the exposure across the organization has been extraordinary in terms of being able to, to touch all of the different areas that e-commerce does impact. So I would say major credit to you on that one. Well, good. Nothing ever moves as fast as I want it to, right? Like I'm like, let's go, right? Um, and so I have to kind of balance being patient with also knowing that some things take some time, but we are working on it. I want to double tap for a second into something Elizabeth said. 
it sounds like it's a work in progress and that you know, you're building the ship while it sails. Yes. Internally right now, where would you say there are, there are gaps for solutions? We imagine a lot of entrepreneurs are listening to this show. And so I would just love to hear where you think there's opportunities right now for entrepreneurs to create solutions to maybe problems that you're trying to solve. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't thought about it with that lens before. I'll shoot from the hip here. I think one is some of it is education, right? And Sarah and I have had a lot of conversations about this, but, you know, how do you take a really traditional legacy um, organization where, you know, you had center aisle shopping and, and brick and mortar and everyone kind of knows the, the rules of the road and, and you've changed that. And how do you educate on what data is available? Um, how do you educate on what a digital shelf is? How do you use that? Because um, again, data is great, but if you don't know how to use it, it's kind of like, it's just too much information. And I always envision, right, like the the mecca to me is like, you just have this like super clear, you'd be able to see both digital and physical, and you'd see everything from first party data, right, um, which, you know, has many challenges. But that to me, like when I think about what would be amazing, right, someone said like, what would you like me to build for you? <laughs> I'd say, I'd love to see all the consumer data so we can see their trends and what they're doing and we can show up for them. I'd love to see it across every channel and every retailer. If there's an entrepreneur out there who can build that, let me know and I will invest. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> We're building it. Okay. Let's talk after. <laughs> <laughs> but no, absolutely. There's so much going on. And I know you work ridiculous hours, not to mention balancing the school age kids and all this other stuff. How do you keep up with everything that's going on in the industry, because it's not just the e-com industry you're looking at. You're looking at the food space. You're looking at the competitive space. Where do you get your news? And and I mean, obviously, other than constantly listening to great commerce. Obviously. I am a huge believer in prioritization and in it takes a village, right? It's how I run my personal and professional life. And I think you've got to cut out a bunch of noise. And I think you also have to be humble and vulnerable and say, I'm not going to know everything. So I've got to build a network where I can have those transparent conversations. And I've been incredibly lucky that across my career, I've built a network, you know, of peers, of mentors, of people who've worked with me or for me where we can share information and and sometimes I just pick up the phone and I'm like, I gut check something, right? How does this sound? And in a world where, you know, we're all kind of, you know, everyone says working from home, but we're really living from work right now. You, you have to prioritize because there's always uh, information overload. And I think that that judgment of being able to cut through, like, what's just noise and nice to know versus like, where is there a trend that is material and that, you know, I think my job is really to look around corners and say, okay, how can I help direct the team as we're looking about corners and as we're kind of sequencing and thinking through. And so I try and focus on those trends that I think are going to be either, you know, macro enough or kind of significant. And I will say my guiding principle is always start with the end consumer and work backwards because everything else will become noise and making sure that it, it is either solving a consumer problem or it is making their life better slash easier. Something along those lines is, is where I choose to spend most of my energy. Hey there, podcast fam are you ready to break free from the social media rut hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you meet viral growth your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence whether you're a personal brand or a company they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level with viral growth forget about those endless hours of video editing they handle everything from brainstorming 
to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. And so that's your that's your filter, the end consumer. So you see a headline, something somebody sends you an article, some uh, C-suite executive says, hey, I just saw this news about X and Y. This sounds very big. How do I know if it's real or not? That's your filter? Yeah. And look, you know, a lot of this is an art versus a science, right? So, you know, it's not like, you know, when, when Miguel, our amazing CEO, emails to ask a question, you know, I certainly don't say, oh, this isn't the consumer, check you later, right? Um, and so I think you've got to figure out when to dive deep and when, you know, some of it is like, when is like 60 to 70% of the informational if the information and directional just fine, when do you really need to kind of be laser focused and thinking through the the long term of that versus, you know, a one hit wonder? So you're a wealth of knowledge, Elizabeth. I'm just getting to know you. At Craft, what's a big e-com lesson that maybe you could share that others could learn from? Yeah. You know, what's been interesting to me is, again, providing a solution for the consumer. And I think as soon as we had that mind shift from these are individual standalone products to how do we serve our consumer when they're grilling for their their family? How do we provide them with, you know, ketchup, mustard, ranch, whatever that looks like? And ensuring that not only is that a win for the consumer, but as we think about e-commerce, right, it increases basket size. You've got to balance sortable versus non-sortable and weight and all of these things. And so, It really is like what I call a win for the customer, a win for the consumer, and a win for us. We can drive efficiencies all the way through. And so that has really hit home for me in keeping it as our laser focus and then backing into that. Um, Now, you know, obviously, look, we're in unprecedented times. I think there's also a lot around e-commerce and supply chain that hasn't even scratched the surface. If you think about the, it, it will sound so ridiculous of, you know, how click and collect works as you go from a manufacturer to retailer X. Retailer X then gets it into their fulfillment center, then pushes it out to their stores, then stocks it on the shelf. The end consumer finds, discovers, purchases online. Retailer X then pulls it from the shelf right? Like there's a bunch of inefficiencies there. And I think, you know, being willing to test and learn and iterate through there will drive enough efficiencies that we can keep investing more for the end consumer as an industry. And so I think that's the second piece that I think we haven't even scratched the surface on. It's funny with um, supply chain and last mile delivery. I just read this white paper and how the average retailer, if they do click and collect and fulfill the order with their own employees, they lose $10. If they do Instacart, they lose $4. And that the only way that the unit economics can work is essentially if robots are delivering. Right. And so it's, you know, exactly what you're saying. I think, I hope right now there's some group in Pittsburgh trying to solve these problems. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> it is interesting because I've been, te- I've been doing so much personal consumer research. So I like to think uh, end user first and... So I, I typically live on Long Island. I'm spending a big part of my summer up in the Catskills, just like Rachel. And I've been trying to see where, how far will Instacart go to get to my home? Because I've been doing so much click and collect at Walmart lately. And yesterday I got my first Instacart delivery, which was super fun. But I will say what you were just talking about, I saw as a consumer in the beginning of the summer 
And it really did show the impact of promotion and basket size. It was right around Memorial Day weekend. Maybe it wasn't exactly Memorial Day weekend, but it was like a, a promo that you guys had done on Instacart, which was buy 20 bucks, get free delivery, which to me is woo. All of a sudden I've got, you know, I've got my summer right. because I got my crystal light. I've got my, my ketchup. I've got my mustard. I've got my jello. Like I've got everything now. And, you know, unfortunately I am not in your full target because I still eat kosher. Yeah. But I was uh, very happy to very quickly be able to knock out that 20 bucks pretty damn quickly. Yes. So on the personal front, I am with you. I also do not eat the bacon, um, but I love that our consumers love it. I've been told it's great. You know, I think one of the powers that, that Kraft Heinz has is we have such a um, uh, wide portfolio that we can bring that basket solve to the consumer. And so you you could, you know, take advantage of, um, you know, the, the Instacart delivery promotion um, because we've got probably 2000 SKUs of Kraft Heinz in there where you can get everything you need to cook for your family when you're home, or as I do, to facilitate the food being served to your family. Well, yeah, I worked on the Oscar Mayer business for a bunch of years. You might remember me from such campaigns as the Great American Bacon Barter, Say It With Bacon, Wake Up and Smell the Bacon, which was a bacon-scented alarm clock, iPhone plug-in, and the Michael Bacon, brother of Kevin Bacon, turkey bacon campaign, which was probably one of the most hilarious and underappreciated campaigns. So yeah, I worked on bacon for many, many years and never ate the stock, which I'm totally fine doing. No offense to Oscar Mayer or any bacon lovers out there. So basically I've offended all of our listeners, except you and me, Elizabeth. So I have a question kind of builds on that, not on bacon specifically, but or maybe that is the answer. I don't know. But what do you think has had been the most surprising big seller online out of the entire Kraft Heinz portfolio? Like you might think you're going to go with comfort food, so you'll you know you'll go with the mac and cheese. Like, are people still buying Lunchables because they just don't have time to make lunch, so it's just easier? Like, what's been the big surprise? Yeah, I don't know if there's like a single like wow, we didn't expect that. I would say some of it has been the the size and the success we've seen with kind of bulk items, if you will. I think there's an opportunity, especially as, you know, so many restaurants were impacted by this from a food service perspective. There's been a few surprises where I'm like, wow, a single family can consume, you know, this much of an item. But, you know, people are home and they want to keep their family safe. And at the beginning, there was a little bit of this, uh, what I, I, I call like stockpiling, right? I think now people's pantries are probably a little more kind of baseline. Um, but I do think that increase in the back basket size and the kind of bundle and people's willingness to say, you know, I maybe used to buy a few boxes of fill in the blank mac and cheese along the way. Now I'm going to buy, you know, 24 boxes. That shift happened very quickly. Um, and I will say people still love Lunchables. And I, my West Coast, all organic, I am now serving my children Lunchables because they can get it themselves in the fridge. I like, I put it down on the lower shelf and I'm like, have at it, right? Certainly lots of changes we've seen along the way. You know, I think one of the things that Sarah and I both witnessed from our companies is the consumer behavior when the item is out of stock. Yeah. Like I do a ton in personal care. And when Aussie isn't available, the customer's putting Garnier into their cart. Yeah. And it really becomes this game about protecting market share. Are you seeing similar things in your category? 
Very similar. Yeah. I think especially on e-commerce and the, the stickiness of that. And, you know, in particular, like when this all started, right, consumers needed food. And if brand X wasn't in stock and that was where they're loyal, well, if brand Y was in stock, then they're going to go to brand Y. And so I worry, you know, as we think about the back half of this year and, you know, everyone says another phase, I don't know that we were ever out of the first phase, but with some of the supply chain complexities, right? I I think, again, that sentiment of consumers and that willingness to say, I've got to get X for my family. I did think there is a lot we saw around movement to brands. And I think it will be very interesting. We don't have enough data yet, right? But to see how does that stick long-term and what changes, how do you kind of come back to the consumer? So I I think that that will be a huge learning as an industry um, and interesting to see what shakes out and what sticks. You know, we touched upon this uh, a little bit. The dynamic of seeing a retailer as a sales channel versus seeing a retailer as an advertising platform. And obviously your experience at Amazon, you probably have a very strong POV on this. And what is your POV? How should brands be thinking about this? And then how should they operationalize it internally? Yeah, so my perspective on this is that... You know, nothing is black and white anymore. We're in this world where, you know, what used to be a traditional retailer is now a media outlet. I think brands very much to be successful, you have to show up as one brand for us, one Kraft Heinz. Um, We cannot show up as a media arm and an e-commerce arm and a, you know, traditional brick and mortar arm, right? Like we're Kraft Heinz and then whether it's Walmart, Amazon, fill in the blank, right? Everyone has these huge media outlets, which is incredibly powerful because you can actually tie it to an end consumer purchase, right? And so if you think about the, the tools and the capabilities that that allows manufacturers to have is pretty powerful. Now, on the flip side, right, it also gives retailers a lot of control across many areas. And I think it's a it's certainly a delicate balance of how you navigate that. But I think if any brand is going to think in isolation of, oh, I sell to someone, I advertise to someone else, and I'm going to keep all these budgets up, at the end of the day, we overcomplicate this. It's one bucket. All of our paychecks say Kraft Heinz on it. But I think that mindset shift is super important. And then I think at some point, it will be really interesting to see how does this impact globally, right? And with these companies, do you show up as one global manufacturer to one global rate? I still say retailer, but really it's media. Everything's encompassed in that. Um, And I don't think that part has quite gotten there, but certainly the shift of selling as well as media, as well as marketing, all of those things are all tied together. Yeah, that's a fascinating thing to think through the global approach. I'm just thinking about my time at Gap and just how styling was so different from country to country and, and the difficulties around that. But now to our favorite question to wrap it up, Elizabeth. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? The bravest thing? Um, You know, I'll I'll give you one personal and one professional. So on a a personal level, I am incredibly close to family. I think it's hugely important. And so I came up with this idea last year. Thank God we got to do this before the pandemic that I was going to get my 70-some-year-old parents and my, at the time, six- and eight-year-old children, and we were all going to run a 5K together. And the reason it was brave was one, I wanted to make sure, I'm sure, I'm hoping my parents maybe don't listen to this part, but make sure they were in good shape and everything was like legit that they could do this. Um, I had to train with my kids. I had to kind of teach them. I am a big believer in like the power of perseverance and, you know, I hate to say grit because it's the buzzword. 
And so we, we went through this all together, right? And it was, you know, it was in Seattle, it was pouring down rain, everyone was curmudgeoning. But to me, the, the, the piece that I'm most proud of or that was brave was like this willingness to say, okay, we're going to all do this together. And there's more power in all of us together versus I could have easily gone and done this on my own. And kind of helping everyone to see that I felt like was a, a good lesson, especially for my kids, you know, to see that as well as to get to have this experience with their grandparents, which felt really special to me. Professionally, I would say at some point in my career, I I had to make this mental shift in a biz tech space where the gender equality looks different and everyone's very direct and tough to say, who am I as an authentic leader? And to me, that willingness to say, here's who I am as an authentic leader, and I will show up with grace. I will show up with vulnerability. I will do things in my own style. I will always put people first and uh, this belief of your personal and your professional blends and this willingness to say, wow, if someone has been going on personally, that may affect them professionally. How do we show up as a leader and help them navigate that? That was a shift that at the beginning, I would say, I did not feel as confident about. I did not see a lot of leaders where I could say, okay, this is how this person leads. I can emulate that style. And at some point I kind of just said, excuse my language, Ellie, you can edit this out, but like, fuck it, right? This is who I am. And I actually think this is what makes me a great leader. And I'm going to be okay that I might get some weird looks. I always say to people, like, I start every one-on-one with a scale of one to five. You know, one is like, you're about to jump off a cliff. Five is like, it's the best day of your life. Like, how are you doing? Not not work-wise, but how are you doing? And I would say that paired with like the commitment I made to myself to show up for my team. And I am not perfect. I do not always do this, right? I'm sure my team will listen and say, what? But to, to make the conscious effort to show up for my team as vulnerable and with grace on the outside, right? Inside, I may be like, holy cow, what is happening? How do we do this? But to create that stability, I would say that, I don't know if it was brave, but it was certainly a pivotal moment for me professionally. I think knowing when you can be vulnerable it is actually a sign of self-confidence. I definitely feel like I've gotten more vulnerable the more senior I've gotten in my career. I actually make myself more and more vulnerable. And yes. I don't know if you can do that early on in your career because you may have imposter syndrome. There could be a whole other slew of reasons for it. I just don't know if I've nailed the grace part yet. So you and me both. But the, but at least that's kind of the, the guiding North Star, right? And the willingness to say, like, my style is who I am. And that's great. And that can be complimentary. And I don't have to hire people who are all the same or different, but I'm going to be authentic as a leader. And I, I'm going to be people first. And I'm going to try and be my best self, even if I'm having a shitty day. Well, Elizabeth, to finally end it, on a scale of one to five, how are you today? <laughs> I would say because I got to spend time with you too. This has been pretty fun. This is definitely my number five of the day. (laughs) We'll take it. We'll take it. Thanks, guys. This was super fun. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming, 
to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.